it's really what we need at all times, isn't it? That story. So, Lord willing, nothing new tried out on you, no new theology, no morphing of whatever the world's throwing at us in the headlines with the scripture, but hopefully it's Bible-based and an application to help us in our life. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. And God's word says this. This is Paul continuing his letter to the church at Philippi. And it's the Lord writing these words, uh, uh, inspiring, breathing out, giving these words to us today. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Uh, Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. We thank you that uh, it's not just a hypothetical, but that the Holy Spirit is a real person, a real member of the Holy Trinity, and that you have promised the Holy Spirit's help as we look at your word today. So we pray for that. Help us to be attentive and listen and and, uh, learn and think. And and, uh, we we want you to do, uh, continue to do your work in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, an old... Wise old pastor used to try to tell uh, some young pastors about thinking too much about what uh, the press about them was. And he would say, don't believe your good press and don't pay attention to your bad press. Just press on. And that's good advice for all of us. We get so concerned sometimes about what people are thinking about us. Good press, bad press, just press on. You've got a job to do, Christian. And Paul is talking about that this morning. I press on toward the mark, he said. Uh, We've got a life to live as Christian people. We've got something that God's called us to do. Some people say, uh, and they ask the question, Uh, when you hear and come to a passage like this, they say, is it possible that living for Christ is an ideal that can't really be achieved? Boy, you're putting a burden on me when you hold out for me this concept of a Christian life. 
And there's some pushback sometimes uh, to say, listen, if God has done everything, uh, your sins are forgiven. The Lord knows. I say it all the time. The Lord, when he saved you, when, he, when you were justified, he knew even the sin struggles you were, would have. And you say, well, is it even worth it? I'm just going to... I'm just going to lean back into that. Jesus forgave my sins, and I'll just kind of have to do it. I'm not going to think too much about what it means to live as a Christian. That's contrary to what Paul uh, gave as his example and gave in his word today. That's a little different than what we're hearing. Somebody said, this was G.K. Chesterton, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. Perhaps you have an excuse. I do. Make excuses for my, uh, not for my failures, but for my lack of caring sometimes. Um, Maybe your excuse could be that we ju- you just have a perfectionist tendency. And I know I'm going to fail. Why even try? We can take Jesus' words, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, out of context. Those words are applied to justification. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you say, I can't be perfect. And we say, well, good. Jesus was perfect for us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus made us righteous with God in him. Um, Boy, Paul kind of kicks this thing right away. He said, look at me. I'm going to tell you to live a Christian life, but I'm going to tell you, I'm not perfect. I haven't achieved either. Not that I've achieved. Uh, And we look at people sometimes, and boy, they all uh, don't ever fall for the fact that, and, and think that somebody is perfect. Uh, you scrutinize their lives and you will be let down. Jesus is the perfect one. We are perfect in him and him alone. And yet when he calls us, Paul says there's a life to live that is a Christian life. There's a life that Christians live. Corpses do one thing. Living people do another thing. And you were called and you were made alive to live for Christ. I'm so glad uh, that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But John said, and I quote those, I should have probably done that one, but I do that one a lot uh, in our our prayer of absolution. But uh, do you remember how it goes in 1 John? I hope you do because you've been here enough and you say, "I, I remember that. Um, uh, we love and we live and we would be in trouble if it wasn't for the fact in 1 John that, that, that it says if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous and he is the propitiation for our sins not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world but do you remember the verse that I read right before all that good stuff my little children I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. There is still uh, something uh, to achieve and to try for, a a living for Christ. And it happens. And and a lot of times we 
don't even realize it's happening until we look back at our lives and go, man, I used to react in that situation. In fact, I did such a way. God, you must be working on me. You must be changing perspective in me because that's different and we can see some progress. There's a door frame in our house. And, and uh, you know, kids stand there at the door frame and they put a little level and they write their name and how old they were. And you can see the progress of the kids growing up. Oh, it was a day of celebration, I think, when everybody passed Paula. Uh, that, was, that was the big thing. She had to stand and put her mark there. And when they got past, past their mom, uh, there's a growing. There's something that happens in a life. We grow. We look at our progress. Part of being a Christian is to see it. But boy, if those kids had every single day charted themselves, we would just have one big black smudge all the way up. We couldn't even see the progress, could we? Uh, it just kind of happens naturally that we grow. And we have an obligation to live a Christian life. Trying to think of, of being perfect. Just thinking of my cousin. <laughs> I don't think he listens to these sermons in Iowa, but maybe he goes online. So Randy came to our house, and boy, we had to as kids, me and Chris. We could not, we, we were blessed. We lived across from an old schoolhouse that had been abandoned, and the backstop was still there. There was a baseball diamond right across the alley. And we were like the old days of The Sandlot or some of those movies where kids would just ride around and say, 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock. We'd all bring our gloves. We'd do the whole bat thing, pick teams. Uh, we, We played baseball. But my parents didn't let us just go play baseball whenever we wanted. There was work first. And we had to weed these uh, rows of vegetables. All, uh, it was an acre of, 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 of stuff. Veg- we had to weed those. And Randy came up and he said, listen. He said, just break off a few of the plants. And your parents will think you can't tell the difference between the weeds and the plants. And they'll let you go come play baseball. Because he was trying to get us out so we could go play baseball. Uh, <laughs> that might have worked for Uncle Ronnie. That didn't work for my dad. Um, there was a job to do. There was a loving. Uh, there was a part of, of living. There was work. There was playing. There was fun. Uh, and then we look back and we almost remember the work as fun as we get older. That's the Christian life. There are You get saved and there are things that a Christian does that, that, that weren't on your radar screen, you could have done all those work things that that Christians get to do. You can say have to do. I'll be, you have to do. Well, yeah, uh, there's a a Christian life. But you know what? It doesn't matter if you're not a believer. Don't even bother. If if Christ isn't true, we're of all men most miserable. And and boy, uh, you're just piling on, but you've got a gazillion sins anyway. But there's a Christian life. Once you are brought into God's kingdom, there's a way to live. Your eyes are open and you live as a Christian lives. What does a Christian do? And then you go, man, I've messed up. I'm like, I'm like Saint Paul, the Apostle Paul. I'm like Paul and I'm not perfect. Not that I've already obtained or I'm already perfect. And you go, okay, I'm in some really good company then. And I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And we keep going. But there is something for you as a Christian to do if you're a Christian. Otherwise, God would just take you straight to heaven, right? 
something going on down here while he lets us live as believers. No, I'm being so careful. I don't want to put any burden. I don't want to bind anyone's conscience. I don't want to put any guilt on anybody. I don't want to get people comparing. I sure don't want uh, an element of pride to enter in in, into anybody's life because I've got this area whooped and and these people don't and don't look at each other and all that stuff, but, but do understand the basic principle. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You have been brought to life and you are to press on. So, uh, three points. Let's see. One, the obligation to make progress. Two, how to make progress. And three, the end goal of progress, also known as the finish line. So, the obligation to make progress. Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made you his own. Jesus went out to pray before he chose his disciples. Do you remember this in the Gospels? At least two accounts that I remember off the top of my head. Maybe it's in all of them, but at least two of them. He went out and spent the night in prayer. And then the Bible says he came back and he went around Uh, and chose those who he himself wanted. He chose. He didn't issue a general call out there uh, uh, in in the case of choosing his disciples and say, hey, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And a couple of fishermen left their boats, and that happened to be his. No, he, he said, you, 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 follow me. And they did. If you're a Christian... You didn't just become a Christian because you're so smart. You didn't just become a Christian because you're the, you, you were a little bit uh, smarter than, than, than your brother who didn't, if he didn't. Or just because you had a, had a good meal, you ate your Wheaties that morning and, and you were feeling good and you could perceive things. No, he called you because he wanted you. He loved you. You. There's an old song back in the 90s. He loves me for me, or she loves me for me. I forget how it went. That, that's what we're talking about. Wanted you, called you, loved you. You are an object, a special object of Christ's love. You go, nobody loves me. Well, if you're a Christian, the God who made everything does. Hold on to that. Probably more people do than you think. But it says he called those who he wanted. Uh, Paul said, I am going to make progress in this Christian life because he made me his own. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We were little kids and we'd put the little Chiquita banana stickers on our forehead. We'd say, how much do I cost, Mom? How much do I cost? Because we didn't know about cost. We thought that was the price. And my mom would say, you are the most valuable thing in the whole earth. You are so... And she would lay it on 
super thick. And we felt pretty good. We wanted to fight over those stickers to put on so, so mom could tell us those great things about ourselves. Uh, how much do I cost, God? How much do I cost? The blood of Jesus Christ, his son. How much do you cost? You are so valuable. Who could put a price tag on you and your worth? You are loved by God. Take that to uh, any bank in the land, and you're the richest person on earth. God had a purpose in calling you. You weren't just someone who stumbled in. He did it. And it says um, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it talks about being saved by grace through faith. But in verse 10, it talks about we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Uh, he said, I can't wait to, to, to love them. I can't wait to watch them play baseball, but I can't wait till they get out in the garden and, and help uh, harvest uh, uh, the, 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 the wheat and, the, and everything. I can't wait to, to, to plug her in. Boy, I love her. And she's part of my family now. And she doesn't have the stench of death about her now. She has the scent of life and eternal life. And here's some work that she gets to do that all of a sudden makes her life meaningful and, and matter. It won't be just a bunch of junk for somebody to either fight over uh, when she's dead. Uh, she won't just be forgotten in three or four generations and they can't remember her name, but they just look at that picture, that old person on the wall and go, yeah, that was great, 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 great grandma. No, she has identity. She's real. She's a person. I love her and I saved her. And now I've got a life for her to live on earth as she presses toward heaven that matters. All of a sudden, you get to matter to God and to life. And you weren't, maybe you were doing good, but it was inadvertent good, like God uses evil to do good and all those things and, and without getting his hands dirty and all that stuff. But now you get to do real, deliberate good, and you get to rejoice and exult in that. He had a purpose in calling you. Does God do things without a reason? Sometimes we say about ourselves, we say, I'm just going to throw this against the wall and see what sticks. I don't know what to do. I'm going to throw everything up against the wall, see what sticks. Uh, does God do that? Hey, I'll take a chance on him. I'll just take a chance. I'll expend some uh, angel resources and I'll just take a chance and maybe he'll work out. No. God saved him to involve him to be part of something big that matters for eternity. And there is something for you to do. What is it for you to do? Um, because we preach these sermons like paragraph or sentences at a time, uh, if we're not careful, we don't go back and, and grab the context. What's the context? The context is Paul talking, and, and you've got to go back uh, to verse 11 where he says, uh, uh, that, well, verse, how, about, how about, let's take 10, 10, um, and then 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. You're saved to live this Christian life, to cross the finish line, and to know him. 
and to be brought into glory in heaven with him. Something for you to do. That's the life you're called to. What is, so here's the question, what is the spiritual progress to which we are called? And this is where, this is where I feel the burden of guilt. This is where I, because I start to think, do something for Christ, and I look at all these measurable things. How many people are in your church? How many people are this? Uh, are you uh, debt-free? Uh, how's your, your weight, your, your, not, not your weight loss program, how's your Christian weight loss program coming? Uh, how's your, how's your, and we put all these measurable things on. Now I find that sometimes in my life, and maybe in your life, those are kind of connected, and when one domino gets pushed, but we're not talking about that measurable things. Check the box every time you do your, your devotions, and if you have 250 in a year, uh, then you'll shoot for 275, and boy, I'm going to get to 365. I know I will, I know I will. Not that. What's he say is the goal of every Christian's life? I put a good quote by Sinclair Ferguson uh, in the worship folder. I'm going to just read it. You can too. You can read it along. Paul's goal setting was centered on the person of Jesus Christ It involved the pursuit of personal knowledge of Christ. Fellowship with him, with Christ, was Paul's passion. Anything less can hardly be described as Christian goal setting or life management. In being stimulated by the contemporary recovery of the idea of life and time management and goal setting, Christians must not allow themselves to be deceived into thinking that the accomplishment of impersonal goals, objectively measurable achievements, is the same thing as true spiritual growth. You are not trying to hit some goals and then you can die. You're hitting one goal. Know Christ. Know Christ better. Deepen your relationship with Christ. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I wrote funny stuff here. It's not having rich, lush grass and not a single dandelion in sight. It's not being prepared for death with an airtight will written up and a clean sock drawer. Those are not the spiritual things, and they're not what Paul is talking about. Know Christ. Your relationship with Christ. You were saved, you were brought from death to life to have a relationship with with Jesus, with God through Jesus. And your spiritual life, your way of of, of living, uh, that's the goal. Some people, God just lets them get rich. Some people, God keeps them humble. Some people say, I thank God I'm not rich. What kind of problems would come along with that? Uh, don't worry about that stuff. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, uh, there are Christians who all loved God. Some of them got sawn in half. You know, they, They're hiding in trees. They were doing all this stuff. Some of them, uh, you look at them, they were very earthly wealthy. 
uh, what they have in common, that they that put their name in, in, in the faith chapter there in Hebrews 11. They had a relationship with God through Christ, and that was growing, no matter what the circumstances were. We're going to get to that in our conclusions uh, uh, for the sermon. <laughs> knew a guy who set a goal. He was spending time in seminary, and he was trying. Oh, he, wanted, he didn't want seminary to just be a bunch of intellectual book stuff. And so uh, one of the, the moms there, uh, she was a single mom. She was taking the counseling program there. And, and he said to her, and he was trying to spend time with her kids and trying to, you know, just trying to be, he was trying. And he said, oh, he said, um, I want every single person who I ever come in contact with to be better off because of that moment of my being in their life. That's my goal. And you think he had it rehearsed and all that stuff. You know what she said to him? Well, you sure do put a lot of pressure on yourself, don't you? <laughs> she wasn't even impressed. <laughs> um, you know, we do this kind of stuff. What's your goal? I want to know Jesus better. That's spiritual growth and progress. That's it. Not I want to have a perfect voting record. And when I get to heaven, I want, it to be, I want the record to know to show that I voted on this earth elections properly every single time. Not that. Know Jesus. Know Jesus. That's the goal of sanctification. That's your hope for your kids. That's your goal for yourself. A growing personal relationship with the God of the universe. Come what may. So good to see the little Brian. I got to hold him yesterday. And boy, I, I prayed for that kid. I want him to say, what's he going to do? He's two years old now. He's a cute little guy. He's alert. You know, what, what should I, if I could only pray one thing for Brian, thankfully I could pray more things for Brian. If I could only pray one thing for Brian, pray that Brian is successful in whatever God has gifted him to be on this earth. Or pray that Brian knows Jesus at an early age and grows in that knowledge all the way till the time when Brian crosses the river. Uh, if I, could, I get to pray for both, by the way. It's okay to pray for both. But if I only had to pray for one or the other, I'm going to pray for Brian's relationship with God. That's the one. That's the primary. That, that's the one. Everything else flows from that. So that being the goal progress in knowing God, how does one make progress in their walk in this life? Verse 13, Paul said this, um, as he's talking about that then. He said, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. How to make progress. Forget what lies behind. In Paul's life, what lies behind? I think there was a lot of guilt. A lot of, of just, you know... What did I do? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Of putting 
Christians to death, of chasing them down, imprisoning them. He says in one account in Acts, I cast the vote. I'm sitting here and and they're looking at me. I arrested them. Death or, or life? Death! And now all of a sudden he's hunted down. All of a sudden he's in jail. All of a sudden people he loves and he knows what those people went through. And and he says, I've got to forget that old wicked sinful life that was behind. If Jesus took my sins from back there and removed them as far as east is from the west, why do I get out my little uh, scope and, and detector and try and go dig those sins back up just to beat myself up? No, forgiven, past. I forget what lies behind. What is behind for you? Some sin or sinful pattern that you're ashamed of? And even in our Christian life, we have our regrets. Probably um, for many of us, it's the sins we've done after we've been saved that haunt us and, and beat us up the most because then we I don't even have an excuse. Somebody said, that's how strong sin is. It even gets you after you're a Christian. And Paul says, I forget what lays behind. I forget that stuff. I have to put that back because I've got a Christian life to live. You're playing soccer in the yard or American football. And you're out for, let's say, American football. You're out for a pass. And this is a yard where someone has walked their dog and not pooper scooped and all that stuff. Boy, and you're running, you catch the ball, and all of a sudden you, you find that's that one spot. Do you stop the game, call everybody over, look at this, this offends me, I'm not playing anymore? No, what do you do? You got the ball. There, there's some, some, some uh, to use last, word, last week's word, rubbish. There's some rubbish there in the yard. And you just take that, you just keep going. I forget that. I forget what lies behind. I'm pressing forward. I got a game to play. As the song says, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and get back in the race. Some little thing comes up and you just can't get around it in your marriage and you keep bringing that stupid thing up and you're, that was 30 years ago. What do you keep doing that for? How many times do I have to ask forgiveness for it? We've got a marriage to work on. We've got a kids to, to pour into. We've got a life and a testimony to, to lead. Paul says, I forget the things that lie behind. I'm moving forward as a Christian. A penny on a track. I looked this up. I was going to say, it's like a penny on a train track. I said, I better check this out. Can a penny really derail a train? Uh, the answer is no. But a lot of people have died putting pennies on tracks, standing on the track to watch the train go by and get hit the other way. That's documented. But a, a, that's just a side note here. But a, a brick can derail a train. Well, you know, what's the little penny on your track in your Christian life? What's that brick that's derailing your Christian life that you were called to do. Well, forget it. It's in the past. 
Somebody in some church acted like a jerk toward you and you were offended. And now you say, well, I'm just not going to churches anymore. I like God, but I don't like his people very well. And you letting that keep you from worship of God? Forget what lies in the past. And he says, I forget that, but I strain forward to what lies ahead. My eyes are on the prize. That's what he said. I haven't made it my own, but I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I'm pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to get to know God. That's the goal. That's the numero uno. Everything else just falls from that. I'm going to know Jesus as good as I can. And then I'm going to die. I'm going to cross that river. And I'm going to know him even better. And that's what my worthwhile life consisted of. Knowing Christ. And I'm pressing on toward that. And I can't wait to know him even better when I get to heaven. And I'll do everything I can here on earth that I am supposed to do. So I want to know God. How do I know God better? How do I do that? What must I do? Well, God told him about himself. And I would say, spend time in God's word. Spend time in God's word. There is an autobiography where the person writing about himself did not lie. He didn't spread the facts. Some of these people, you know, some guy will get out of his presidential office and he'll write a book. And and the facts will be there. Churchill did it. Uh, They all did. You know, well, we all want to make ourselves look good. In our brain, we tell ourselves. And and it's, it's, depending on the person writing their autobiography, it's mostly true or mostly false, but, but it's not all because other people have to weigh in on that. We remember things different even. Um, here's one autobiography that is absolutely true and perfect. God told us about himself in his word. Uh, you want to know God? You spend time in God's word. You read it. You read it again. You maybe listen to some, some sermons or some teachings or read something, but you say, how does that compare with the word? What does the word say? What did God tell about himself? And we, we gradually get to know God more and more the more we spend time with God. Hey, Grandpa and Grandma loved each other when they uh, got married out there on the farm in, in western Iowa. They loved each other as 18 and 19-year-olds. Boy, they went through some pain. They went through some stuff. And, and uh, it, it might not have been as lovey-dovey uh, by the time they hit 30s and 40s and 50s and, and, and 70th wedding anniversary. But boy, they knew each other. And it was deep. And it was something to it. And we do that in our relationship with the Lord. We love God. We're excited. We want to know about Him. But as we walk, 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 He's taking these steps. Um, we know Him better. And that's the goal. Know God better. Pray. Talk to God. You can pray a prayer like this. Please show me yourself. You can talk to God. You can read your word. Something happens. The world doesn't get this. And and, and they they can mock it. But dead men can mock anything. 
They don't understand what it means to be alive. So let them mock away. You can pray to God, and God will hear your prayers. And you can read God's word, and he will speak to you in his scriptures. You can have that dialogue. Ask God to interrupt your life. Ask God to let you know that he's real. We used to, um, with family devotion times when our kids were little, we had this old phone. It's trying to illustrate that talking to God isn't just closing our eyes and thinking magic things. You know, we wanted, So I'd say, here's the phone, and, and, and to do that. Uh, one time, one of our kids, not with the phone time, but with a different time, uh, said, she was, or th- this child was mad at us for something. I don't want to pray. I'm not praying tonight. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you don't have to pray. All you have to do is say, God, I don't want to pray tonight because, and you just tell God why you don't want to talk to him. So this child says, God, I don't want to pray tonight because mom and dad made me mad. Please help grandpa and grandma, and please help me start naming the brothers and sisters and and turn into a great prayer. Sometimes even going to God when you're not feeling like it, but going to God, it leads to the discussion. Pray. Read your word. Know God better. Grow. And then uh, we got to move on here. Also known as the finish line. He said... uh, um, I press on, 14 and 15, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Prize is knowing Jesus. The prize is the continuation, the completion, I shouldn't say the continuation, the completion of what we talked about last week, justification, sanctification, glorification. You, if you're alive and you're a Christian, you've been saved, you're in that sanctification process. And you're just pushing on in this life. It just happens that God wanted you to be either a man or a woman, whoever you are. He wanted you to be, be a man or a woman, uh, uh, whatever age you are. And he wanted you to be uh, alive. And at least this morning right here, you're in New England and Connecticut uh, in the year 2022. God wanted you to be that way. But the spiritual process uh, is, is an eternal, timeless one. It's, what I'm trying to say is, wherever you happen to be, Christians have happened to be in this spot 100 years ago. If the Lord tarries, they'll be Christians 100 years from now. There are Christians around the world. You are where you are physically. That has no... That's where God wants you to be. But you as a Christian have the same obligation no matter who you would have happened to be. You have an obligation as someone who God has saved, who he loves, you, every factor that that makes you you, and he wants you to get to know him. And you complete that as you just get to know him and live for him. We have no idea what's coming down the pike. No idea who God will scatter. We have no idea what's happening uh, in a country, or a world. We don't know. We can kind of predict and we think we can. We don't know. Here's what we know. You're a Christian. You were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are in a relationship with him. He loved you. You were 
chosen, loved specifically. And his, Jesus' death on the cross covered your sins and your job, no matter who you are, where you are, what your circumstances, what the weather is, is to know God and to keep pursuing the knowing of God. And there will be a time when that process is done and you go to heaven and you see him as he is and you live eternally there. That's it. That's the basics. And then beyond that, you have food and, and raiment. Therewith will we be content, says the scriptures. He said, let those of us who are mature think this way. People are like, what's he talking about there? He's saying there's tiers of people. There's, there's different levels of, of people in churches. Some are they're mature and others aren't. It's like a family. What do we say when there's families with a lot of kids and we go, little stair steps. Right? We say little stair steps. And you, you see the family pictures. Here's Christmas. And here's this one, this one, this one, this one, little stair steps. Uh, well, yeah, some have been saved longer. In the church, there's little stair steps in the church. Some are Christians, some are growing. They're not all perfect. In the end, they're all going to probably be roughly about the same size if they're in the same family. But there's growth. And he's saying in a church, you look and, and, and you, you do. If you're, if you're mature in Christ and you've been saved for a while and you've been walking with Christ and living, well, think that way and help the others. My little brother we always thought he'd be the shortest because he was the youngest. He read this book about Teddy Roosevelt. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt. And what Teddy Roosevelt, who was weak and sickly as a child, did to be, and, and Dan was like, I'm going to be the tallest one. And I think he ended up, now, now the competition isn't over tallest, it's, so it's over who's uh, less uh, portly, I guess, of the brothers. But uh, back then it's a comp. Well, we grow. We grow as, as Christians. And there are people in Churches who are more spiritually mature than others. They're not more worthy in God's sight. And it's where God's bringing us all through his Holy Spirit. And he says, those of you who are mature think this way because uh, he's worried about this church. Uh, The word phroneo is is a a word. And it goes back to uh, chapter 2, verse 5 also. Uh, have this mind among yourselves, and, and this is all about yourselves, yourselves, those of you. And he's thinking about how it works in a church and, and, and spiritual maturity. And I wrote this. Big brothers and big sisters can lead the younger siblings astray, or they can lead them in the right path. Here Paul is saying that if you are farther along in a genuine walk with God, God will use you to help your little brothers and sisters, the newer Christians, in that path. Uh, some people have been rock climbing longer than others. You don't just say, I'm going to climb this rock wall. Maybe you go to a place and they have a wall there and they have a beginner wall and you have to pass tests and then they have a harder one and then you, you try outside, they have a course and, and by the time you've done it a while, you get pretty good at rock climbing. Trial and error. You fall down a couple times from a shorter height. Uh, but boy, You are the ones, if you've been a Christian longer, you've got an obligation. Other people are following this path. You be the ones to do the climbing and drill the holes and and get the footholds and and, and the ropes, and you help the others along. That's what he's saying here. A church is that. Then he finally says, verse 16, about adding strength to strength. He says, only let us hold true to what we've attained. Conduct yourself, in other words, consistently in a manner to the level which God has already brought you. 
hold true to what you've attained. God is helping you grow. You're learning Him. Uh, Don't abandon this Christianity, this faith, this knowing God, this personal walk with God. Hold fast. How do we take a text and apply it? Well, again, a reminder, straining toward a goal, pressing on is presented as a good thing in Scripture. Yeah, there's some work to do. We are saved by faith alone, not the faith that is alone. And we were saved for a reason, with with some good things to do in God's kingdom. It's a good thing. Goal is a personal relationship with God through Jesus. And what do I recommend then for all of us? What I recommend for you, loving you as I do, wanting to see your spiritual growth. Here's my advice for how to do this in a crazy world. Overdose on God's sovereignty. Get back to God's sovereignty. had a conversation with one of you on the phone Wednesday evening. It was so helpful to me. Talked about this book by an old Reformed Baptist named A.W. Pink called The Sovereignty of God. And I said, I remember when I first read that and how helpful that was to me to know that God is sovereign. I can live. Boy, I can do everything. If I know God is sovereign, I know that God is in control of all of this stuff, almost to the point uh, where where people don't become a fatalist but, but, but almost be be able to be accused of being that. God is in control. Find a way. So I had that conversation. I said, I don't have that book in front of me now. I don't even know if I still have it, but I remember as a, as a young guy just coming to the Lord what it meant to really grasp God is sovereign. He's in charge of his world. I looked it up on uh, one of those Kindle things, and it was 99 cents. I said, okay, that's three sodas I don't need to drink anyway. <laughs> uh, that's time that I don't need to spend looking at, at the, the news websites to see if there's a new story up that's changed anything. I can spend 99 cents and I can spend three or four hours and I can read about God's sovereignty and maybe God will use that and please God use that to help my soul. Understand God is sovereign. God is in control of everything and you can tip your head back and laugh and live for God and you can get to know God. And that's the advice I have for you. Oh boy, it's a scary time. It's a scary time to relocate, to downsize. It's a scary time watching uh, kids. It's a scary time looking at all the news. (laughs) Whatever site you click, well, depending on where you're going to click. Some people say it's the best time ever. But (laughs) some some of these people say, and they have facts to back it up. Worst whatever since 50 years. The worst... Stock exchange start of the year. I, I saw that one in 60 years. Or the worst this, the worst. Oh, it can be so scary until you just go, this is kind of funny because God's always been in charge of God's world and God's people. And I can just, I, I, I don't have to see the net below me. I can just press on. And God's got this. God's got it. All the way to heaven. Tip your head back and laugh and live for God. God is writing down names in his book of life. If you're a Christian, there's a book of life, and your name is there. 
and nothing you do can make him go back and erase that. Your name is there. So just live for God and get to know him. And don't worry so much. Your job is to get to know God. Run, press on. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for Paul's example. But thank you for your words that you wrote to us this morning through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And help us as we press on toward the mark. In Jesus' name, amen.